Hello and welcome to Theology Doesn't Suck, the 378th best podcast on theology you will find on the Apple Podcast app. My name is Andy Herman, and with me is my co-host, Josh Patterson. Hello, Josh. How's it going? What's up, dude? Are we really 378? No, I made that number up. <laughs> I feel like we should be higher than that, like at least 375. I... I, I, I will admit I made that number up. That is not a real number. <laughs> I don't know. So when we talked with the um, – so we we did a, a joint episode a while back that appeared on their feed with the, yeah. uh, the guys from Push the Narrative, which is another theology podcast you all should check out, Yeah, which I think yes, we've mentioned right it now. before. But you guys should check it out, Push the Narrative. Uh, but they, they, like, actually had found out that they were, like, the – like the fifth or like the fifth ranked pot theology podcast in some country or something like some obscure uh, place yeah but they had there were like barely any theology podcasts that, yeah, that really country funny. listened to or something um but i don't know how they found the ranking so i i haven't been able to do that justin if you're listening gabe if yeah. you're listening hook you us up man us. Text help me. us figure that out I want to find out, like, what obscure number, what ridiculously high number we are in in the U.S. You know, we ha- I think I've mentioned before, we have, like, seven listens uh, in Sweden. That's pretty and dope. And we have, like, seven in Denmark now, too, I think it is. The Danes, and then, man. And it's like all the three, hockey talk. Like, it's all the hockey. That's what it is. It's the hockey. Uh, we have three or four in England, I think, too, and then like two in Canada. So you know, we're getting some international acclaim. I would yeah, say. Yeah, we're well, we're worldwide. You know what bums me out though, <laughs> is that the the uh, the Sweden number hasn't gone up in like a month and a half now. <laughs> so Sweden, so we peaked in Sweden. We, it's done. Whoever was listening to us in Sweden decided they were done. Um, <laughs> So if if by some miracle you're listening to this episode, Swedish fan, I'm assuming it's just one person, maybe two. Uh, <laughs> please come back. We want you. We, we need you. We love Nicholas Backstrom and we, Eric Carlson well, and Victor Hedman. How about how about Gabe Landeskog? He's there. You go, Landeskog. That's true. He's, he and is William Nylander. One hunky Swede. Um. But yeah, so. <laughs> and we hate Finland. We hate Finland. So is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, there's a big oh, rivalry yeah. there. Okay, then what Andy there. said. Yeah, we hate Finland. Unless you're a Finnish person listening, in which case we love Finland. Right. But uh, whatever country you're from, we love. We got to be all things to all people, Andy. Yeah. I think it says so somewhere. Hashtag apostolic tradition. <laughs> um, so Josh. What yes, have you? Uh, what have you been up to lately? What have you been reading? What have you been oh, uh, reading. doing? What have? What's going on? So I got back from Maryland recently. Uh, I went okay. there for uh, Christmas break, which was super cool. I was there for about a week, um, and I got to see all my friends and family, and that was a ton of fun. Um, and now I'm back here and adjusting back to the warm weather because when I walk outside. My brain tells me it's going to be 35 degrees outside, uh, but really it's 85 degrees outside. And I'm not pissed off about that. I think that's great, but my brain is still very confused. Um, So there's that, but it's cool. And also, let's see what I've been reading. I've been reading a book uh, by N.T. Wright recently. Big surprise there. um, Oh, wow. So surprising. (laughs) Called The Challenge of Jesus. 
okay. which is really cool. I, I've I've had it on my shelf for a while. Okay. Yeah, I actually so haven't I just heard of that one it. before. Oh, really? Yeah. It's so it's basically he he's done a I mean a ton of work. Like he is a big fat book on like the historical Jesus. So it's basically a very distilled version of that. So um, I have a I have a question to pose there because Okay. Some what you just said may have alluded to something that's very surprising to me. Does NT write not when you talk about him having a book on the historical Jesus, does do you mean he does not believe that the Jesus as presented in the Gospels is entirely historical. No, or I don't. Does, I don't. I don't think he would say that at all. I think he would okay. say that that the Gospels are extremely reliable. Okay, um, I, I was just yeah. curious because a lot of times when you hear people talking about the historical Jesus, it's no, like he's a, defending. He's defending the historical Jesus. Okay, so he's like he's talking about the historical background of Jesus. Yes, exactly. Not right. not not like trying to uncover the real Jesus behind the gospel. No, no, something. it's not like some okay. weird history <laughs> channel BS okay. garbage That's nonsense. Good. No, no, it's like, hey guys, here's some cool stuff about Jesus that we might not realize because like in the West we don't think this way or you know okay. I don't. It's just good. It's just like this is helpful stuff that if you love Jesus you should know kind of stuff. It's not a was Jesus real or was okay. he not? Dan, gotcha. Dan. Yeah, it's not like well, that. I don't read garbage, Andy. Contrary so speaking, to popular belief. Well, that's debatable. <laughs> but uh, speaking of N.T. Wright, I actually just noticed on my uh, computer desktop, um, I have a picture. Have you ever seen Ref Tunes? Uh, it's like, uh, it's like I guess a guy who does like drawings of mostly of like Reformation era theologians with quotes and stuff. Ref Tunes. Okay. Ref tunes. It's it's pretty cool. You you should check it out. But I have a like a ref tunes drawing on my background, and it's like it's it's Paul, and it's like the golden chain of redemption from Romans eight, and uh, okay. the the drawing of Paul in this cartoon I feel like looks a, a decent bit like N.T. Wright. <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> that's pretty funny. That's all. That's sorry. That was a long way to get there, but um, I just noticed that maybe like a younger N.T. Wright, although he is still bald. So, yeah, he is bald. Not that young. Uh, anyway, it, it looks like N.T. Wright with a slightly longer beard is what it I is. I dig it. Well, you know, N.T. Wright has done a ton of work on Paul. He is very well, much a Pauline yeah, scholar. He, he has. He has done a ton of work on Paul. That is true. Um, Anything else exciting going on? Any other exciting books? Any other crazy happenings in the life of Josh Patterson? Uh, Not really. I don't think so. I'm kind of a boring person. Uh, I just kind of hang out, watch hockey, uh, have a few beers, read theology books, hang out with my wife, you know, the usual. All good things to do. Yeah. What about you, man? Uh, well, in terms of reading, I just finished, um, reading, uh, a book called A Short History of England. And nice. so that was fun. <clears throat> changed it up from the usual theology books a little bit. I really like history too, so that was interesting. And of course, inevitably, there was a lot of church history intertwined with English history, so that was right, cool right. to read. Um, and right now, I'm reading a book. I'm reading two books right now. One, I'm reading for surprisingly for the first time. I'm reading Fox's Book of Martyrs, which I'm sure okay. you've heard of. Yeah, uh, but that's you know is compiled shortly after the Reformation. Um, talking about early church martyrs and then talking about mostly reformation era martyrs uh, and that's been a good read so far uh and then i'm also reading a book that i can't remember the name of 
It's by Richard Elliot Friedman. That's the name okay. of the author. And it's about the Exodus. Nice. Um, and the, the word Exodus is in the title. I can't remember the name of the book, though. <laughs> uh, but it's... Well, that sounds for pretty the re- good. For the record, he's very... Uh, he's not someone that I agree with. I'm, I'm more reading this book out of curiosity to see what he has to say. Uh, okay. But in, in case any of my fellow reformed people are listening and shaking their heads, uh, yeah, I'm not like reading the book because you. yeah, I'm not reading the book because I agree with him. But I'm I'm actually reading it on. Uh, it was given to me by my grandfather, who is a uh, an ordained minister in the PCUSA. He's pretty okay. He's pretty liberal theologically. Sure. Um, and he always gives me uh disapproving looks when I say something reformed. <laughs> so i'm I'm reading it because to, in order to discuss it with him um but it's been interesting he's he's very much in in favor of like the documentary hypothesis he doesn't believe he believes that you know the old testament and particularly the pentateuch was the work of um many authors which was then compiled yeah uh, and that the history it's not very historically accurate but he's he basically okay. the whole the whole book is him arguing that there was some historical event behind the Exodus. Okay. Um, but not how the biblical account describes it. Sure. Um, so it's been an interesting read. Well, you uh, do know the Old Testament is Jewish meditation literature. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, we're going to have another episode on that sometime about the reliability of the Old Testament in which, you know, the gloves will really come off because... I don't mess around when it comes to scripture, Josh. Yeah, um, he drops like it's hot. <laughs> anyway, but so those are, that's the stuff I've been reading. But uh, other than that, things have been pretty steady. Just working at the coffee company, um, nice doing doing stuff with the youth group at our church, uh, smoking cigars when I get the chance. All that <laughs> good stuff. So I have not gone to watch a lot of hockey lately, which has been a real bummer. But. Uh, you know. Yeah, that's a bummer. Well, I haven't been able to watch too much either, but yesterday um, I actually went to Chad's house. Chad's a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. we watched hockey at his house, which is cool because I haven't been able to watch it in a long time, and he has TV, and I that's don't. Nice. <laughs> you, know, you know what's terrible is I have a, a subscription to NHL.TV, whatever the online thing is, because we don't have cable or anything. Oh, nice. Um, and here's the problem, though, Josh. They don't let you watch any games that are in market for television. For oh you. yeah, it's so annoying. And dude. It's all so the annoying. Avalanche games are in market for me, like every right. single one. Right. So, <laughs> so the subscription was basically worthless. Um, yeah. No, I feel you. Man. I had that. I got it when I was in yeah. college, and luckily I was yeah. in Pennsylvania, so most of the time I could watch the Caps. But there was also a decent bit when I couldn't. Yeah, anything nationally broadcasted or if they were playing in Pennsylvania or whatever, I'm sure. And since the Caps but... are the best team, they're always naturally uh, nationally <laughs> broadcasted. Okay, one Stanley Cup's getting to your head there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, uh, anyway, uh, speaking of cups, all right. uh, today <laughs> we are talking about communion in which we drink the cup of the Lord. And <laughs> you cup love those transitions. Covenant. You love those transitions, don't you? Yeah, it's pretty um, great. So, yeah, today we're talking about communion or the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, however you want to term it. Uh, but I'm, I think this will be an interesting conversation. 
Um, Josh, you know, I'm sure that you did hours of reading and study to prepare for this episode. Uh, yeah, I stayed up all night studying, reading, uh, yeah. anything I could get my hands on, um, mm-hmm. you know, quizzing the head pastor at my church, all sorts of stuff, really oh, trying to get prepared for today. I'm, I'm glad that you did so much prep work because I did none, so you'll have oh, to yeah. carry the... You'll have to carry the load here. Uh, <laughs> well, but, maybe I lied, so. Oh, well, we might be in trouble then. Maybe we don't have much to say about communion. I guess you guys can just tune out now. Yeah, you um, communion. Do it or don't do it. The choice do is it yours. Or don't do it. <laughs> wow, there you go. Episode over. Uh, so, Josh, I figured I figured we could start maybe with just like a little, just talking about the theology behind communion uh, and. And maybe a little, even a little bit of the the history, maybe some of the, especially there's you know there's a a bit a lot of debate about the nature of communion around the time of the Reformation. Yeah. Um. So, so obviously, just if we want to go way back, communion was instituted at the Last Supper when Jesus was with his disciples, uh, and he he took the bread and he broke it and he said, "This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And he took the cup of wine with alcohol for the record baptists are you listening <laughs> it was real wine with alcohol not grape juice uh and you know they said this is the cup of the new covenant uh or cup of my blood in the new covenant i i'm i'm not reading something I'm along those lines para- i'm paraphrasing but uh do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and so that was the first institution of communion and communion has been a a central piece of christian worship ever since yeah um you know, many churches today don't take communion every week, but the early church, that was pretty much communion was the central ritual. I know some people don't like the word ritual, but the central, sure. like the central function of their worship services. So that was like the high point of worship every week for the early church in most cases. Right. Uh, so it's, it's a, it's a really important piece of Christian worship and it is one of the two uh, sacraments that we Protestants recognize, and and by sacrament, uh, traditionally at least, I don't know if Josh might disagree with this definition. Josh might want to call it an ordinance, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know, but by sacrament, normally we would mean it's uh, it's a special it's a special spiritual institution that God has given us uh, for our spiritual nourishment, basically. Sure. And, and so there's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Um, so. So starting off, I guess Josh, do you do you think maybe it would be good to go into the historical stuff first, some of the debate about what communion is exactly? Yeah, sure, that sounds good to me, man. Awesome. We so can, we can start there. Sweet. Well, let's do it then, Josh. Are you ready? It's time to I go on so. a journey back to old times. Olden um, times. So, well, even not even really that old because most of these positions are still held by the various parties today but um i guess we'll start by by going back to the the roman catholic church yeah. uh, has a position on communion which is known as transubstantiation and josh i don't know we'll see how much you were paying attention in church history class do you remember what transubstantiation means or is yes yeah, so, well i'm gonna do like a really childish uh answer to your question like a all right <laughs> a watered down version of, i'm not going to use big fancy words basically uh with transubstantiation uh there's kind of the belief that the 
wine and bread. Um, like once the priest does his bit with it uh, and you partake, it actually becomes the physical uh, uh, body and blood of Christ. Yep. Yeah, the priest says these special words. Abracadabra. Yeah. Well, that is where I think it's where abracadabra comes from, right? Because don't they sound? Oh no, no, no! It's hocus pocus comes from hocus pocus. <laughs> I don't remember. So no, for real, for real. The the phrase hocus pocus. Uh, I don't remember what the original Latin phrase that the Roman Catholic priest used was, but the phrase hocus pocus came from. Uh, it like it sounds slightly like what the Latin priest would say before the communion. Wow stuff was transformed into the body and blood of christ and so people would go around saying hocus pocus like trying to like use the magic words you know yeah i didn't know that that's actually kind of funny yeah for real or or Um, super offensive if you're roman catholic and you're offended i'm sorry i'm not that sorry you know i've beefed you (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um well not with you with your church if you're a roman catholic bishop or cardinal i have beef with you so if somehow you're a high-ranking official in the Roman Catholic Church, and you're listening. Let's go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's anyway. But yeah, so basically, transubstantiation. They have the belief that the the priest says these special words, uh, and then the communion bread and wine literally transform into the actual body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and and some of this is tied in. I mean, I'm sure that someone could come on here and correct me because I'm not an expert in Roman Catholic theology by any means. But I think a lot of this is tied to the idea that Roman Catholics have of in the mass, they believe that they are sacrificing Christ again every time they hold mass. Right. And so um, that's part of that whole theology of the communion, bread and wine, literally being the body and blood of Christ, because they believe they're literally sacrificing Christ again, which I believe is a terrible, terrible heresy. Um, (laughs) But... (laughs) But anyway, so that's the that's kind of the Roman Catholic view, and and how they what they say about the the fact that the bread and wine still look like bread and wine and taste like bread and wine. Uh, the special theological term they have for that is the accidents, which yeah. means like the outward appearance. Basically, uh, they say that the accidents of the bread and wine stay the same, but that they are truly the body and blood of Christ. Um, and then very near to that position, but distinct, which I'm gonna probably totally butcher this position i'm going to just be honest but the there's the lutheran position of consubstantiation now josh do you feel like you have a good grasp on consubstantiation no okay because neither <laughs> do i uh, i'll be completely honest no here's what here's what i will say about consubstantiation because i do not have the credentials to give you a real good the Somehow the Lutherans say that the Roman Catholics take it too far, too far in, in saying that it becomes the literal body and blood of Christ. But they also still say that the bread and wine are the true body and blood of Christ, and they think that the Reformed position, which I will detail in a minute, is wrong and too weak. So that's about all I can say about consubstantiation. I- from the Lutheran perspective. Yeah, well, so I, I actually, I consulted uh, a great theologian uh, named mm-hmm. Google. Um, <laughs> and basically, I mean, basically all it's saying is that uh, co- uh, 
consubstantiation is a Christian theological doctrine that describes the real presence in the Eucharist. It holds that yeah. during the sacrament, the substance of the body and blood of Christ are present alongside of the substance oh, of the bread and wine, that's probably, which you know, remain present. Con meaning sense. together, I would guess. Con, con means with. together, you know, in Spanish, con means with, C-O-N. Yeah, that's so. what I'm, that's what I'm <laughs> getting at. I think that makes Using sense. Using my Spanish lessons. All right, that makes a lot of sense. Um, Well, so there you go. There's the Lutheran. I'm not a qualified Lutheran representative, so, you know, sorry, Lutherans. Um, I know one thing about Lutherans. They're what, uh, on a that? recent on a recent Pew Research study. Uh, they are the denomination that consumes the most alcohol. <laughs> that totally makes sense based on just <laughs> Martin. If you look at Martin Luther, that totally makes sense. Oh yeah, he um, loved beer. He did love beer. I mean, I was a little disappointed because when you told me about that study, I was hoping that Presbyterians were going to be <laughs> up there, but we were, we didn't even crack the top five, and that really bummed me out. The Methodists um, did, and that's the kind of church I work I know. at right now. That's surprising to me. Like I, I would not have pegged Methodists as drinkers, you know. But yeah, that's okay. That's okay. It's it's just because Presbyterians we don't drink quantity; we drink quality. Oh, um, I dig it. <laughs> uh, you know all, all that craft, that. all that craft beer yes. and stuff. Except Good for beer, me, I real beer. A, I drink. I drink a lot of PBR. So. <laughs> Although that right just, now that just contradicted <laughs> your statement. Yeah, I know. But right now I am drinking like good craft beer. It's from Santa Fe Brewing. It's like nice. you know, a local brewery, and it's actually an IPA, um, which I usually don't like, but I like this one. That's but anyway, um, back to the subject at hand. Consubstantiation. So, and the reason I even mentioned consubstantiation, honestly, it probably won't be super important to the rest of our topic the rest of our conversation, but uh, it's just, I'm kind of trying to show the sliding scale from Roman Catholic, like down. And you, you guys will see how this scale kind of works. Um, yeah. And there's a kind of a natural logic to the succession of these positions. So then um, a little farther away from kind of the literalness of the bread and wine being Jesus body and blood would be the reformed view, uh, which I hold to, which is that the bread and wine, uh, that Christ's body and blood are are present spiritually in mm-hmm. in the bread and wine. Um, for for anyone who receives it by faith, they feed on Christ's flesh and on Christ's blood spiritually. And so, uh, that was actually surprisingly. It might not seem like a big deal to us now, but the difference between consubstantiation and the Reformed position is the literally the only thing that kept the Lutheran and reformed uh, reformations from uniting. Wow. Early, early on they, they got together and I believe they had 15 points of like doctrine that they wanted to discuss. And that was the only one that they couldn't agree on. That's interesting. Um, yeah. So, and so in the reformed position, um, I guess it would be, it'd be worthwhile to mention as well in the Roman Catholic position, uh, uh, on communion the the sacraments in general in roman catholicism they believe that they uh operate i believe the latin term is like ex opera or ex operatus or something like that basically meaning that the sacraments convey spiritual grace to someone just okay. by fact of them happening so like if someone's baptized or someone receives communion uh the faith of that person doesn't play any role in determining whether the sacrament imparts grace to them the sacrament just does it mechanically 
Okay. So like re- receiving communion, regardless of that person's spiritual state, just dispenses grace to them regardless. Doesn't matter. Okay. Um, the Lutheran position, I'm not too qualified to speak on where Lutherans are at with that, so we'll 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 skip over that for now. Um, but then the Reformed position, it, to contrast with the Roman Catholic position, Reformed theology would say, we would still say that the sacraments, and particularly here, the Lord's Supper, uh, does something spiritually. Like, it, it mm-hmm. gives us grace and gives us spiritual nourishment, but uh, it only does so when it is received by faith. And so the big right. difference is in, in Roman Catholicism, it's a mechanical thing. The grace is dispensed no matter what. In Reformed theology, it's we 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 receive spiritual nourishment from the Lord's Supper when we receive it by faith and in a worthy manner. Right. Um, and then well, kind of the – oh, go ahead. I was just going to say well, also too, um, like in the Roman Catholic bit, I think uh, communion plays into their understanding of justification, right? Where like um, by taking communion, it like – this is going to sound a really – like I'm not trying to be a jerk. I just don't have a better way to say it. Like it adds to their uh, like points and justification by like participating right. in church. It's a process that you keep getting just you know justification. It dispenses grace, right? Right, and right, so, right. And it it yeah. So it, it dispenses grace. So it adds to their merit, but also it doesn't. It's not enough on its own to justify them. I mean, they have to, right. You know, they have to tip the scales. Maybe do a little time in purgatory. Um, <laughs> bummer, dude. But yeah, it's a real bummer. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so then so you have the reform view, which is that it's you receive grace when you receive it by faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the far end of the spectrum is the memorial view, which would be which was held by some people in the Reformation and especially the Anabaptists, um, which is that communion does not have any inherent like spiritual value in that it doesn't impart some kind of spiritual nourishment or strength or grace uh but it's it is just basically a memorial of what christ did for us on the cross um which is why it's called the memorial view so when when they when they hear jesus in the gospel say do this in remembrance of me they they basically say like that's all there is to it um you know we we're doing this to remember what jesus did for us and that's all it is Sure. So I would be curious, Josh, just to know, because I really have no idea, um, although I'm guessing you're not following in the Roman Catholic camp. <laughs> Surprise, um, I'm a Roman where, Catholic now. <laughs> wow, that would be crazy. Um, I've had where, a lot you, of thinking recently. Where you fall on this, I mean, I think really probably in the evangelical Christian world, um, the debate's probably more between the Reformed position and the memorial view. Right. Do you do you do you see communion as as having any kind of like true spiritual effect, giving any spiritual nourishment in and of itself, or do you think it's just a memorial? Um. So, like, I mean, to be honest, I really haven't dug like too deep into the whole debate. Um, yeah. I've just kind of always stuck with the memorial bit, just because that's what I've grown up with. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I've been taught, um, and like even in the churches that I've served in. Um, you know, seems to be about right. I'd be interested though to read more into the reform position, uh, just to to kind of learn about it more. But I would, as of right now, as of today, I would say that you know I'd most definitely probably fall into the memorial camp. Okay, and that for those of you listening who may not know that the memorial view is 
most likely it's the most common view of yeah most, for sure like, not of most evangelical churches in the u.s today yeah um so if you're in like a baptist church or a non-denominational church or something like that like your church probably holds to the memorial view yep i think uh, so i don't all, actually know what the methodist church holds to i, I, I would no want to say memorial though because they have these weird tables that look like they have typos oh, dang it it's an altar i'm sorry if that offended anybody but they have this table <laughs> called an altar that's okay. it's the like writing on it looks like a typo. It says this do in remembrance of me instead of do this in remembrance of me. And yeah. so one of my coworkers, I won't name them so that they're not, you know, shunned. <laughs> but for they, their own protection. they do <laughs> they do the Yoda voice and say this do in remembrance of me whenever they that's see hilarious. the table which is it is funny <laughs> that is hilarious wow. but just just in case the weird chance that somebody who would be offended by that from the church heard i'm protecting them yeah thank you for protecting <laughs> them well now you're just gonna get the blame yourself what that's fine i'll take the it? blame yeah blame the youth the, guy that's the I mean, co-worker that's what people is do anyway. josh i think right yeah yeah okay that's what i thought um <laughs> yeah so so yeah, and obviously, as you might guess, I hold to the reformed view, the traditional reformed view, uh, which is that that uh, communion actually does, um, it does have a spiritual benefit uh, when okay. taken by faith, and and where where the reformed people would would go to look at that usually, and one of the main one of the main texts we would go to for that uh, comes from if you don't mind, I'm going to read a little bit, but First uh, cool. Corinthians ten. Um, and so starting in verse 16, it says, uh, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Uh, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body for we all partake of one bread. Uh, so, and he goes on and talks more about it then. Uh, but, but the idea is basically, uh, we think that there is, more meaning behind that word participation in there. So when we're taking communion, it actually has, um, uh, and I don't, I probably can't express this as eloquently as many great reformed theologians, but, but it actually in some ways kind of strengthens our union with Christ when we take it by faith. Uh, so, so taking communion is a way of strengthening and deepening our union with Christ and with our fellow Christians. Uh, Paul, right. I, the second verse i read there paul talks about how we who take one bread are one body right so yeah uh and and that would be kind of maybe i would say the secondary effect of communion is the union of believers but particularly our union with christ and the spiritual nourishment that comes from that from our from the deepening of our union with christ sure um yeah that's so, interesting man because i mean just thinking about this off cuff like i i wouldn't necessarily disagree with that maybe i'm just mm-hmm. a confused purpose person who like you know doesn't know the positions too well but i i feel like you know participating in communion like does those things still like i can yeah i can like feel it i can experience that happening if that makes yeah sense. exactly and that's i i totally agree and i can totally relate to that and i think um one of the things you find is that generally in reformed churches presbyterian churches that are uh still doctrinally sound things like that you will find a higher emphasis placed on communion Okay. Um, which, which is akin to the early church emphasis placed on communion. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, you know, the early church was taking communion every time they met for worship, and it was a right. high point of their worship. Um, and they they didn't allow outsiders in when they were taking communion. <laughs> you know, they would 
they had the preaching of the word and then they had the prayers and then they kicked a bunch of people out and then they had communion. <laughs> um, and so, <laughs> which <laughs> we can get into kind of the rationale for that later. Cause in first Corinthians, that's kind of addressed too. Sure. Um, but but I think you you tend to see reformed churches because we have this view of communion as it's not just memorial but it's a um it actually is a has a, a spiritual benefit and it has this really this really great impact on us and it does something for us spiritually we you'll find a lot more not all but a lot more of the reformed churches will take communion every week like our church takes communion every week okay and just pl- place a lot more weight on it as a centerpiece of worship whereas in some other churches, like Baptist churches, non-denominational churches, you tend to see, like, churches taking communion, like, once a quarter or once a month or something like that. Right, and sometimes um, it's like, oh, crap, we forgot to do communion, so we sh- maybe we yeah. should do that. <laughs> exactly. So, which we can get into, we can, we'll get into that a little bit more later, um, maybe, like, practice today, what we think about that. But first, okay. I wanted to talk about... in. Uh, who is communion for? So kind of what I just referenced to that first Corinthians passage. Um, can anyone take communion? Uh, so. I don't know, man, because I feel like I have, I would want to say no. Uh, because I think it's specifically, I mean, right off, like it wouldn't make sense for some atheists just to go take communion. Like, it wouldn't mean anything yeah. to them. It's just, like, a, a thing. Um, yeah. So, that doesn't make sense to me. So, I would say no because of that. Um, and then I know in, you know, certain uh, churches in certain places, there's, like, rules about, like, oh, well, like, a child can't take communion or they have to do, like, X, Y, and Z prior to them being able to. Um, the kind of thing that I've always went by with that is uh, if a child can articulate why they're taking communion – um, then I, like, I'd be fine with that. Uh, but I think, you yeah. know, you'd probably want to be a Christian and be able to articulate and understand what you're par- partaking in and understanding the seriousness of it. Um, yeah. you know, because I do think it's serious and I think the Bible is pretty clear about, uh, you know, examining yourself, uh, you know, before you take communion and, um, you know, taking it seriously. So not just willy nilly, there has to be some, mm-hmm. you know, reverence for it. It can't just be anybody and everybody. Um, yeah so yeah i think i think you're pretty spot on with that honestly like uh there is there is there are some churches that have paid communion but generally because of what scripture says um about the need and if if you guys are curious where that is it's in first corinthians chapter 11 uh paul talks about the need to examine oneself before taking mm-hmm. communion and that uh anyone who takes communion in an unworthy manner um actually eats and drinks judgment upon themselves <laughs> yeah. and paul actually paul actually even says he when he he talks about the corinthians taking communion in an unworthy manner and he says this is why some of you have fallen ill and died wow so, paul doesn't mince words no no so i mean but that's like that's serious if you really think about it like paul is saying god is actually judging you to the point where people have died because you're taking communion in an unworthy manner and sure. so so i would i would say um a lot of times we we don't think very critically about who should take communion, but I think it's mm-hmm, important mm-hmm. for us to 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 note that it is only for Christians and only for those who can examine themselves and, and take seriously what they're doing who and 
Paul, I think Paul uses the phrase, those who can discern the body. So, yeah. um, so it would be unwise for an unbeliever to take communion because in a sense, if, if you believe that, you know, it's a participation in the body and blood of Christ, uh, then an unbeliever taking communion is, could in a sense be seen as, uh, like defiling the body and blood of Christ almost. Yeah. Um, which, you know, so, so I would, I would agree with you that communion isn't for everybody. It's only for, for believers who can understand what's going on to some degree, at least. Yeah. Where uh, I think where I do kind of get sketched out, cause I know this is a thing. Uh, like if you go to a church and they say like, Oh, you have to be a member of this church or you can't take communion. Yeah, or I know like the Catholic church sketchy. does that where they'll be like, Oh, anybody who's Catholic can take communion. But if you're not like, it's not for you. Well, officially speaking, Catholics, I'll, although I don't know, maybe recently they've tried to move away from this. But as far as I know, officially speaking, Catholics say that anyone who's not Roman Catholic is outside the true church. So that kind of makes sure. sense. Yeah, um, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I get but, it, but it's I yeah. disagree. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah, I would. I So like at our church, I, I love the way that our pastor does it. Um, and he when he gives communion, you know, he makes clear this is this table is for anyone who is a believer in Christ, who has been baptized, who belongs to, you know, a Bible, a Bible believing church, basically. Sure. Um, and then he also, he usually does mention the portion about if you're, if you're not a Christian, if that's not you, please don't take communion. Right. Uh, because it's not a good idea. So, yeah. Um, he, I mean, he says it <laughs> differently than that, but to summarize, <laughs> Um, yeah 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 so so i i appreciate that because at most churches i've been to or well, most at the at, for example at the large mega church i belonged to and worked at it was an sbc mega church um before my journey into reformed theology uh they did not they they only took communion once a quarter first of all which i now have issues with and they yep. um they didn't really say anything about who should be taking it or about its significance they're just kind of like okay we're all gonna do this to remember jesus and <laughs> and that right. was it and yeah so, that I, that was the experience i had too at the non-denominational church that i worked at um yeah. they would just kind of be like oh we're gonna do communion today and like uh all are welcome if you want to do it like cool kind of thing yeah there wasn't exactly. and i mean people people i don't know i feel like uh, it's, I think it's, I like what you're saying. Like, it's important to kind of warn people of the dangers or explain it or something. But, yeah. um, it, in my experience, I've also noticed too, like people that aren't believers think it's really weird. And so they just don't do it anyway. But really, do, that's interesting. yeah, I've, yeah, that <laughs> would happen. People would just stay in their seat and not participate. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Well, so, so now that we, we've already kind of made the shift, but I'd be, I'd be interested to talk a little more about modern practice. Um, maybe what you've seen a little bit more, your experience with how churches handle communion. And then also like, what, what do you think is appropriate practice for churches handling communion, how they should introduce it, how often it should be things like that. So do you have any thoughts on that? Um, well, I think, well, me personally, I, I like communion. Um, what I don't like is when communion just becomes like, like a checkbox, I guess, like, oh, we just, we have to do this. Um, yeah. like for example, the church that I work at now, it's always the first Sunday of the month. And so it's okay. like, I, I, I don't know. I feel like it's better when communion 
kind of has like a good meaning rather than just oh it's the first Sunday of the month so we have to do it which I get it it's like a liturgical thing and there's probably a, a bigger reason that I don't understand but I'm a millennial and I like to criticize things um, <laughs> <laughs> one of the a cool thing um, I was at a church that would have offer communion every Sunday um, yeah. and the pastor would uh, talk about it and explain it but it was it was different because you could partake in communion at any time during the service. Oh, interesting. So they had communion tables set up on either side of the stage. Um, and like at any time during the service, if you felt so compelled as to go take communion, then you could. But then they'd also have services when they would encourage like the body to partake together as a whole. So they kind of did both. Did, and in the services where you could do it whenever, did most was there like a time of the service where a lot of people did it or was it pretty spread out? Uh, it would be pretty spread out, but I mean, a lot of it you would see during, uh, like a worship set kind of thing, like during, um, okay. you know, a time of worship through music. Um, but you'd see, I mean, people would do it during the sermon or, um, you know, during prayer times. Yeah, it was interesting. It was different. I had never seen that before. Uh, I've never then, heard of anything like that before either. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was Sorry. interesting. Um, and so then, like, where I'm at now, they just do it once a month, and, like, it's always this big deal yeah. because nobody can quite figure out how to do it effectively because at one service, it's intinction, <laughs> the other service is at kneeling rails, and, like, people get mad and pushy about it, which I understand because okay. they want to take it seriously. Um, yeah. But, I I mean, I've always been a fan of just intinction. Um, what, uh, what does that word mean again? I don't really know. So intinction is uh, when you physically take bread and dip it into the cup. Okay. Um, Or, yeah, so rather than, you know, maybe in comparison to some churches you'll go and they'll give you like a little cracker and like a shot glass. Yeah. (laughs) That's probably another uh, not good way to say that. Um, But basically that's what it is. A little tiny one. Um, And then like you can take them that way as well which i don't have like a theological reason why i choose one or the other i just personally prefer intinction Um, and so that's what they do at the more modern service at my church but the 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 coolest communion experience i ever had it was my favorite i'll remember it forever was when i was working for youth for christ and we had a this retreat that like if you work for them you have to go on called one heart retreat and mm-hmm. so it was like a small, very intentional, like very prayerful, not completely silent, but kind of along the lines of like a silent, prayerful, contemplative kind of retreat okay. um, with like 15 other people. And at the very end of it, um, you know, one of the pastors that was there, like, you know, um, did the whole communion spiel. And then we had communion, but instead of just like going up and, and taking it or whatever, we were sat at like a big long like farm table and yeah. all of us were given a full loaf of bread and <laughs> and like a giant chalice of uh, grape juice. It wasn't wine. Grape juice. And uh, so it was actually like a meal. It was like okay. a like a feast, like a meal. And what we did was we went around and we talked about what we were thankful for and how God had spoken to us and what he had shown us during, um, you know, the retreat. Which I thought was kind of cool because some people refer to communion as a thank you meal. Um, you know, I guess that's more in the memorial side of things, but thanking Jesus for what he did as we remember. So that was a really cool experience. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, so 
I guess my experience has been in some ways similar. I mean, are we going to, I became a Christian at and attended for a while and worked at a large Southern Baptist megachurch. And like I mentioned, it had the, the memorial view uh, and we took communion once a quarter. Wasn't, I mean, they did the, they mentioned like the, the, the story of when Jesus instituted communion and that was about it. Mm-hmm. Um, had a very, honestly had a very low view of communion when I was at that church. Um, because they didn't emphasize it. It wasn't really that important. It was just kind of like this thing we do sometimes. Yeah, that's how uh, it was when I worked at a non-denominational Yeah, church. and so it, they really had a really low view of communion. And I think that tends to be, not always, but that tends to be um, the result of the memorial view. Uh, is that communion kind of gets pushed to the side and it's not that important. Um, mm-hmm. And so uh, now, now, obviously, the church I'm at, it's a PTA church. We take communion every week, which I really love. Like, I honestly think I would struggle uh, to go to a church that didn't take communion every week. Yeah, again. I think that's a very cool thing. Um, and so that's been really awesome. And I think, I mean, a lot of times the art, one of the arguments that people will give for not taking communion every week is that it just becomes like too, like too comfortable or too familiar. Yeah, and too so familiar. Like, but but i mean the argument i would make against that is that we we have preaching of the word every week and that's very important (laughs) like should we should we space it out more so that preaching doesn't become too familiar you know um yeah probably we should and i think when it's done (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding done well communion every week can still be highlighted like i think our church does a, a pretty good job of i'm bragging on our church a lot this episode our church has problems too for the record um yeah like I andy think, goes there yeah like i go there. that's a problem <laughs> um i think i think we do a good job of highlighting it and making it kind of a central aspect of our our worship service and so um it's always a high point of the week for me taking communion and and one thing that i do appreciate i mean maybe there are some i know there are some churches where people will take it individually or at their own discretion or things like that but we wait to take it together as a body and i think that's really um, beautiful and significant because of the kind of communal aspect of it. Um, yeah, the, the Baptist fact, church that I went to actually did that. Yeah, yeah. So it, it shows that, I mean, it communion's about our union with Christ, but it also kind of has a, a secondary effect or as an implication of it, you know, is our union with one another as well because we're, our, we're all united to one another by virtue of being united to Christ. Right. And so it's it's a family meal, so to speak. And so I appreciate that we do that. Um, we do the little we have it little like chunks of bread and the little the little shot glasses of wine. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. Apparently, there are some people who are like really hardcore about this. Uh, I follow this Facebook page called Orthodox Lutheran. Okay. And they like they hate like utterly hate those little shot glasses because it's interesting it's i think it's because of their view of consubstantiation they believe that the only proper way to do communion is from a communal chalice yeah um so everyone drinks out of the same chalice uh because they and then after that after they all drink out of it after the worship is over the priests have to go uh like rinse it out with a little water drink it rinse it out with a little water drink it until like absolutely every trace of the wine is gone yeah um because they believe that since it's the actual blood of christ if any of it doesn't get drank it's like an affront to god yeah it's like a big deal 
it's really interesting. So they hate the shot glasses because they think a lot of the blood of Christ gets wasted. <laughs> it's wasted. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And oh, and also, side note: at my church, we do use real wine. Um, although, cool. although to the chagrin of some, we do also offer grape juice as another <laughs> option. Uh, particularly, I guess, for children or for those who maybe have struggled with alcoholism or something like that. And then we also, yeah. you know what, you know what I hate. Although <laughs> I don't really hate it. I'm just I'm being facetious, but. Uh, we have gluten-free bread as an option. As well. <laughs> oh yeah, that's that becoming like, popular. Yeah, that just feels so. We have regular bread, but we have like a little inner tray with gluten-free bread, and I just I don't. Uh, it feels so progressive to me. It bothers me. Which um, is so <laughs> funny because it's like some people, if they ate gluten, they would like die. I know it's I know it's a good <laughs> thing to have. But it just like it feels so weird. I don't know. No, I got you. Um, it, it does. It's it's because it feels attractional to you, and you don't like the yeah, attractional church. That's model. what it is. I you know I want to repel people. I believe in the <laughs> repellent church model. I think we should drive people out of the churches. <laughs> drive people out of the church. Yeah, I got you. And only those who are like absolutely refuse to leave should stick around. I got um, you. <laughs> Or you could be like Andy Stanley, you know, and just say, like, we should make Christianity as easy as possible. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, that was to- that was kind of the, a little bit a part of his his most recent book was like yeah. preach the New Testament <clears throat> bit and then introduce the Old Testament after you're a Christian because yeah. it's well, a stumbling block. He, that was kind of had, his idea behind it. He has said things about that, too, about like making Christianity as easy as possible. But, yeah. you know, we'll do a whole other episode on bashing Andy Stanley because I could go on forever <laughs> about that. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I guess in summary, I would highly – I highly favor doing communion every week. Yeah, um, that's a cool thing. And I, I think it's really valuable. I mean, I think it's – not only is it enjoyable, but it's spiritually nourishing, I think. And so um, anyway, yeah, that's kind of my hot take, Andy's hot take on communion today. Can I say um, a cool thing about communion? Yeah, go for it. So, like, and th- I mean, I'll show my hand, and this is going to be to no surprise, but I think N.T. Wright does a really beautiful job <laughs> of kind of <laughs> of Sorry. he articulates things well. Yes, he's a smart he's, guy. He's a smart. He's a good writer, but he talks about like what's uh, one thing that's so cool about communion is that it, like, when we're, we're you know remembering Jesus or whatever, it brings back the past present and future all rushing together as one and so he would say mm-hmm. it, it helps us remember the past event of jesus's uh you know crucifixion um it also brings that into the present you know where we mm-hmm. are now as we remember it but then also it looks forward to the future you know the the promise of the resurrection the promise of when god is going to set things you know back to right and it, so yeah. it brings that for that future rushing into the current present as well. So he has a really yeah. beautiful, elegant way of explaining, um, you know, kind of the really cool things that happen during communion. I I don't know. I that's like good. it. No, that's really good. And and you know what that brings to mind for me too, which I can't believe I didn't talk about already. But one of the things, one of the other beautiful things about communion, um, is that I think it, in a sense, it kind of gives us a foreshadowing of. Uh, of the the great wedding feast of the lamb you know that's oh sure absolutely right is and because in worship it's this experience where we're encountering god and, and the whole worship experience should be in a sense kind of a foretaste of eternity 
yeah um, but particularly in that climactic moment of communion it's a it's it's almost like a representation or a foretaste of of what revelation describes as the great wedding banquet of the lamb and so i think it's I, I, I see that element kind of of what you're talking about, too, of it brings the future rushing into the present, too, as well as right. remembering the past. Yeah. Right. That's good. Yeah, it's and it's good. I mean, that, that just – N.T. Wright has a tiny little book. I mean, it's little, dude. You can sit down and probably read it in maybe a little over uh, – maybe two hours or less. It, it's only 86 pages. Oh, wow. It's that called is short. The Meal Jesus Gave Us, Understanding Holy Communion. It's just a – right. like It's pretty good. I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes. We'll see if it happens. But uh, the meal Jesus gave us by N.T. Wright. Check yeah. it out. Um, so I guess I guess we're getting probably near the time limit for this episode. Uh, but I guess a final encouragement I would give uh, to anyone listening is just to take communion seriously. Because in a lot yeah. of churches today, it's not taken very seriously. It's not thought of as that big of a deal. Um, it's just kind of an afterthought a lot of times. And so I would encourage you to take communion seriously and um, really care about it and think about it and think about why it's important. Yeah, I would agree with you, Andy. Um, I mean, I know I what I enjoy about communion is is the, the reverence um, hmm. that I can have. And it's just like a good, uh, like quiet time, a really intimate time, I feel like. Uh, when taken seriously, it can be a really intimate time, kind of like what you're talking about, that really strengthens our relationship with Christ um, yeah. and with, you know, the people that you partake with. Um, yeah. So I, I would agree with you. Take it seriously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, yeah. So hopefully this episode has been, I mean, I feel like we could have talked a lot more, but it's just the tip. As always, it's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, but hopefully this has been edifying, encouraging to you. Hopefully this will propel you to think a little bit more about communion and why it's significant and maybe what it is even. Uh, maybe for I'm sure for maybe for some who who have grown up in churches holding the memorial view or something like that, there hasn't really ever been any other view presented. Oh, uh, yeah. So I feel like that's maybe, the problem a lot of the time in general. Yeah. Churches <laughs> so don't will, present other ideas. <laughs> yeah, this might be thought-provoking too, so I don't know. Uh Hopefully, hopefully it was beneficial to all of you who listened. We appreciate you listening, as always. And uh, if you have any questions or comments or thoughts or anything you'd like to reach us with, uh, you can find us online at theologydoesn'tsuck.com. And we have a contact com. us page that you can reach us at. Uh, we have a blog page, which should actually have some stuff on it soon. I'm not sure, depending on when this episode comes out. There may or may not be <laughs> anything yet. We're working on it. There It'll will be there. something soon, so keep keep on the lookout for that. Um, we're also on Instagram, so you can connect with us on Instagram. It's at Theology Doesn't Suck. Correct. Uh, so so that's exciting as well. And uh, we we appreciate you. You're the best for listening. Uh, hopefully, we, we would love for you to reach out to us with any questions or comments or episode suggestions or anything you might have. So uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Yeah, most definitely. Peace out. No caps. Thank you.